You're listening to a 58 Ember production. This week, we are discovering the cocoa market's not-so-sweet side, the ins and outs of tipping in America. Are we doing it properly? Question mark. And lastly, how New York City's Mayor Adams signs the Sweet Truth Act into law to regulate how restaurants display added sugar. Welcome to Discover Ag, where food meets pop culture. I'm Natalie, a cattle rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And I'm Tara, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And every week we are bringing you the top stories in the food and ag space that you need to know. And I feel like I want to start off today with like, Merry Christmas. Like, it just feels like Christmas is in full swing everywhere. So Christmas music is playing. You finally got to decorate. I decorated. It's Christmas. I was going to update the discos and let everyone know who is worried about Christmas cheer at our household. The tree has been put up. The garland has been hung, the lights are twinkling, and the Grinch finally celebrated his birthday. So you're (laughs) right. It is Christmas. You're so sweet to Luke. I know. I have been hounding him to get the lights on the outside of the house. That's why I jokingly have been calling him the Grinch lately because he keeps putting it off. And I keep reminding him that we're going to be gone for Vegas in a week. And then when we get back, we only have one more week or, you know, a small amount of time before we head to Montana for the holidays. And so just the window of opportunity to be festive on the outside of our house is slowly shrinking and Luke is not grasping it. Daniel and I have never done Christmas lights on the outside of our house. So I think we're both the Grinch and this year he bought them and they're sitting in a box in our kitchen. And I'm going to have the same conversation with him today that like we leave for Vegas very soon. And then like, it's basically Christmas when we get back. So either like you put them up now or they're not going up in his defense though. Like I share this in my stories, but I had like a minor (laughs) skin cancer surgery and so dan's been kind of holding down the fort so i don't know if i want to like jump on him and be like hey get the christmas lights up when he's been like making me dinner bringing it to me in bed like watching the girls like all the things dan the man can handle it i have the funniest story speaking of vegas that i have not shared with you and i think it'll give everyone a very good chuckle this morning so settle in for embarrassing natalie hour when you and I got back last week, we were together in Iowa. You gave a keynote at the Farm Her, which was top-notch, so fun. And when I got back, I had several boxes awaiting my arrival that I had ordered for NFR outfits. And I wanted to jump right on them, get my outfits planned, get what's returned, you know, back in the return process. So while the kids were sleeping that morning, 7 o'clock, I was trying on full Vegas attire in my bedroom. I'm picturing this. A full length glitter skirt, a kind of, I don't know, poofy top, cowgirl hat. I am standing in front of my mirror recording a video to send to you and another friend of my outfit so you guys can tell me if you like it or not. And in walks our housekeeper. And I do not notice her. I'm just full on talking to myself in the mirror, telling you guys like all the angles. Do we like this skirt? Does my butt look okay? Should I change out this top? Cowgirl hat, disco ball on bottom. And then I look over and I see her just standing there looking at me. And I said, oh, I totally forgot you were coming today. 
I can only imagine what she was thinking. That's hysterical, though, because I was showing Daniel what you were thinking about wearing because I was showing him my outfits and he was like, wow, that feels like a lot. And I was like, well, you should see Natalie's outfit if you feel like mine's a lot. (laughs) And you are in a full outfit for Vegas and Rue walks into it completely (laughs) naked. And Dan was like, wow, that is just a lot going on in that video. So knowing Daniel's like expression, I can't imagine in real life your housekeeper being like, what is happening in this house? Yeah, because Rue was also naked when she got there. So she got the full effect just in real life. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. I did do Vegas shopping yesterday and I I am ready. So just so you know, I feel like you've been stressing about my outfits. I've been stressing about my outfits. I'm ready. I'm good to go. I have not been stressing about your outfits. I've been stressing about my outfits. Listen, I don't care what you show up and I care what I show up in. And I placed a last minute order again last night, panic shopping for, I don't even know what I'm looking for. Just what feels right. I have a lot of different vibes going on. And what I'm stressed about that is I'm going to need, I think, like six different pairs of shoes, four of which are cowboy boots. So I'm not entirely sure how I'm getting everything I need to Vegas. Also, I have to bring two champagne bottles that I have fully sequined glittered. So there's just when Daniel sees my bag for our three day trip, he's going to lose it. But you know what? I have to do what I have to do for the discos. And we are going to be bringing you hot new content when we get back from Vegas. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be worth the maybe possibly two checked bags. All right, getting right into our episode, we're going to start off with thanking our sponsor, Case IH. I'm giving full disclosure. This is the ad that we want to turn into a wrap that does the listing. Mm. So here we go. I'm going to I'm gonna get into my groove this time. Bailing, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, ditching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, and grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing can do comes in red farmall learn more at caseih.com slash farmall thank you for that musical melody to all of our ears before we get into our articles i do want to remind you guys to join club discover our weekly email that is going out every monday this past monday i shared a go-to soup recipe that i make all the time and a favorite makeup i have been using quite frequently and tara shared a movie she was watching with the girls as well as a jacket she bought so every monday you can count on your inbox being filled with our latest discoveries all the things we are loving wearing watching reading, etc. I also want to remind you guys to leave us a review. And I just have to say, the Spotify wrapped came in this past week. And you guys were so kind in sharing your love for discovery. It really meant a lot to see everyone come through. It was so fun to read the stats and see just how we showed up in people's lives. So thank you so much for showing up and listening to us whenever that is and whatever you're doing. Tara and I really enjoy being a part of your guys' day and your lives. And it just means so much to us that you're a part of Club Discover. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Also, on that note about reviews, we have a little surprise, a little goodie. We ordered some Got Discover stickers. And from now on, when you leave a review, we will be sending you a Got Discover sticker. So start submitting those reviews and you'll be getting some fun mail. Yeah, it used to be a giveaway we're doing, but now we want to move forward where it's not a giveaway. Like you don't have to be entered to win the sticker if you do a a review. You automatically get one. So all you do is just leave the review and then you'll have to share it to your social channels and tag us because it's the only way we'll be able to like actually connect with you, get your address. So leave the review, screenshot it, tag it or post it and then tag us and we will send you the first ever Discover 
it's not really apparel. Merch, merch, or no, shop, stuff from our shop. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) We're sending you something in the mail, okay? That's the exciting part. All right, you guys, diving into our first article this week to discover headline, the cocoa market's not-so-sweet side is showing. The global market has endured mixed supply and demand signals this year, which means uncertainty now and in the months ahead. Did you think this article was hard to read? I mean, it was not the most interesting article considering it was a pretty interesting topic, but I didn't know that it was like hard to read. What what did you not like about it? Something about supply and demand for me. I know it is such a simple concept, but I think my brain wants to overcomplicate it. We have discussed this on the podcast. Economics was not Natalie and strong suit. We were women in STEM, not women in business. So bear with us through these numbers. But no, it actually was. That part was confusing because we're going to get into it. But basically, the markets are at an all-time high. But there's like issues about whether production is actually low or not. And then demand is decreasing because people are eating apparently less chocolate, not me, but somebody out there is eating less chocolate. And so it was kind of like a weird, like it was not a straightforward supply and demand in my mind. Yes. As you said, to review and sum up the article, cocoa bean futures are at extreme high. The article actually specified that in London, they reached an all-time high since trading in the contract began in 1919, which is absolutely crazy. And then New York, they reached the highest since December of 1978. So they have absolutely peaked. And like Tara said, the way I understand it, we'll kind of get into like some of the reasons why and like what all this means. But essentially, they peaked so much that there's no more demand. Like prices are so high that people can't afford cocoa right now. Yeah. I also kind of getting back to the markets though, like the futures market for me, like a lot of this article was talking about the futures market for cocoa, but I feel like future markets are always so problematic. Even like whether that's beef or dairy or whatever markets in agriculture, sometimes I almost wonder if they ultimately end up like instead of like predicting what's going to happen, if it's like they actually kind of cause what's going to happen because people are like now freaking out about the markets of cocoa and it's causing like a rippling effect everywhere. And I don't know exactly where we want to start, but let me, well, actually I do know where I want to start. I do think it's worth mentioning the top producing areas for cocoa are the Ivory Coast and Guyana. They produce more than 70%. And (laughs) I think it's Ghana. Are you sure? Ghana? Ghana? I'm really sorry to the West African country that I mispronounced your name. <laughs> I really thought I was like nailing it. Not today. Well, now Tara. you have me second guessing myself, but I certainly say Ghana in my head. In my defense today, I think it's worth noting, I have been on like a lot of painkiller since my <laughs> surgery yesterday. So like maybe just take everything I say today with a grain of salt. Yeah, Africa is the global leader in production. It counts for over 70%. And all of those were, as you mentioned, West African countries. And the reason I was reading, I guess, moving into the conversation of why, but a lot of it is uh, weather, El Nino pattern. So they are going to potentially suffer and have a drier than normal weather during several months ahead due to this El Nino pattern. So basically, good old Mother Nature is just being the biatch that she is sometimes. They also talked about smuggling of beans that was like leading to decreased production. So that was where I was going whenever I mispronounced the country's name that I will not speak of again, (laughs) um, is that like the future markets are predicting that things are going to be so high. And so, yeah, it's caused like 
a lot of smuggling where they're smuggling from one country to another to be able to like obviously like make money. And so I do think like predicting the high prices is leading to that. And so some people are saying that there actually isn't as low a production as they're predicting. It's that product isn't getting accounted for because it's being smuggled into another country. And so, yes, weather is an issue and predictions are as high as it's down 25% from the same time last year, like how much they're making. But then some analysis are like, no, it's actually only down about 10% because of how much is being smuggled out of the countries, which is really wild. I mean, I guess I just didn't know there was like a black market for chocolate. So wild. Sometimes I forget that food is traded in the marketplace like this or that it does have like futures and it is a commodity like this. I don't know why I forget that. But I do. I think it's so bizarre from one standpoint. I said that to Luke and he was like, no, <laughs> no, it's not, Natalie. Everything like lumber, oil, like all the things are in, you know, traded and, and viewed, valued, priced in this manner. But it's so crazy that it's our food to me sometimes. No, it is weird. Like I think about even like dairy is traded on like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and like it's kind of weird. Like our entire milk price is set based on like what some blocks of cheese sell for on the open market. Like it's kind of a weird system. Probably why it doesn't work so great. So another interesting thing with cocoa is that it is harvested twice, which I think is kind of interesting because they were saying that you could have mid crop of this year affected as well as main crop of next year, which that doesn't happen with all, you know, obviously crops because sometimes they're just harvested like once or annually. And so it is interesting that you could have multiple hit points that would affect you, you know, for a longer run than, you know, just say like if you harvested once and it missed it. Yeah. So some of the things that people are doing, regulators are limiting like stockpiles. You are only allowed to purchase exactly how many beans you need to meet your contract obligations. So people in the past would like buy more and then have like a little extra so that if they're, you know, they had a buffer for the next year and they're not allowing that. So they're trying to keep it like product moving through the system versus like holding any back, which I thought was really like a positive step in the right direction. I have some like fun stats about chocolate and obviously about candy. But July to September is obviously like they're like getting busy, getting ready for Halloween. You know, then we have what Christmas, then we have Valentine's Day. And so apparently like in the chocolate market, you need to be like ready to rock by September. And the largest importer of cocoa beans. Who do you think it is? Do you know who it is? Did you look it up? Yeah, it's probably Switzerland. Nope. The Netherlands coming in at 24%. Mm. We talked about this last week on the podcast. The Netherlands is in every conversation. What are they doing in the Netherlands? Everything, apparently. They're doing everything. <laughs> I've been there. I drove across the entire country, went to a family reunion. Like It is a very small country for how much of an impact they are having. Uh, United States comes in second, followed by Germany, France, Belgium. But Switzerland, as you mentioned, consumes the most chocolate per capita. Yeah. So while they're not importing the most, they are consuming the most per person. So I think it's important to note that you just kind of brought up cocoa for chocolate, which is how everyone thinks of it. But going back to like the markets and where everything is at, you also have to think about that cocoa is used in a lot of beverages, cosmetics, and other products. Uh, mainly, I thought of cocoa butter. Like how often is that used in certain lotions and other, I don't know, miscellaneous products? And where will we see kind of that affect us if, again, this 
cocoa market really is shifting in the way it is with prices and supply and demand. Something else that I thought was kind of crazy is the chocolate market apparently is kind of like the beef market that it has. It's dominated by five major companies. So it's an oligopoly. Is that how you say that? Yeah. So it's Cadbury, Hershey's, Mars, Nestle, and then one other country are the top five, and they control over 60% of the market share globally. And Mars is actually the fourth largest privately held company in the United States. Isn't that nuts? Mm -hmm. I thought that was so crazy, some of the similarities there between chocolate and beef. I will say it was hard discussing this today because you and I are doing 75 hard. My diet that I've been choosing for 75 hard is no sweets, no added sugar. So ooh, today was a tough day. We have a lot of sugar conversation today. So yeah, I have to tell you the funniest story. I haven't told it to you yet, but I was thinking about it when when I was reading through this article. So when we were in Iowa together, I was like starving at the Denver airport and I bought an entire box of C's candy, which is my favorite chocolate. And um, you and I opened it at the hotel room. First of all, you ate my favorite candy in the box and you didn't even like it. But that's not the story. So I bring the box back home. I already had two boxes of C's candy at home. And so Daniel was like, you bought another box of C's candy? And I was like, no, Natalie bought it. So in Vegas next week, you bought it. And so I literally blamed it. And then I finished that entire box and opened another box. This was before 75 Hard. And Daniel was like, you opened another box? And I was like, no, this is the box Natalie opened. And he was like, no, it's different flavors. No, Natalie did it. I know. I was just blaming everything on you. So I'm really sorry. I can't believe. I truly, I did open up your box. And I did take the first chocolate out of your box. Well, apparently it's my box. So I, I now have a right to. But out of all of the options in there, what is there, 20 chocolates probably in there? The one flavor I didn't wanted, coconut, was the flavor I got. I mean, what are the odds? And it was the one flavor that I want. Like, you also, wanted, what are the odds in that? <laughs> okay, back to this article, though. We got off topic, but Hawaii is the only state in the United States that you can grow cocoa, which I thought was really interesting. And then supposedly the best chocolate in the world because of the cocoa beans comes from Ecuador. So... If you're out and about and you see chocolate from Ecuador, Ecuador, apparently that is where to get it. I'm not at all surprised about the Hawaii statistic. I mean, going back to a long time ago, you and I covered coffee beans on the podcast and how Hawaii is basically one of our, for the states, our main grower. They're working on trying to get it into like Florida and California, but it just doesn't work. It does make me think about though, like big conversation going to, you know, eat local the, you know, importation, exportation that some of some people, some people in the food movement right now aren't for this, you know, global aspect we have to our food system. It's like, have you thought about things like this, like cocoa, you know, <laughs> I mean, there are things we don't grow here in the United States. Yeah, that you have to have an import export market in order if you want to be able to have it available to you. And the last thing I'll say on that, I actually wrote down a note, I didn't know if I had, it would come up, but this is actually a perfect time to talk about it. Again, going back to the importance I don't know if importance is the right word, but just this is where we are as a society. And for some countries, there are other things to consider when it comes to this eat local, support local conversation. They were talking about how cocoa is extremely important for exporting countries. For example, they honed in on Ghana. It is the world's second largest producer, and it contributes to 3.5% of their GDP on average and employs almost 20% of their working population. And so they say that it is obviously very important for the economy. They call it like brown gold. And I think you need to factor that into some of these conversations where, again, people have this negative idea of a global marketplace when it comes to our food. 
Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of positives when it comes to, you know, exporting and importing things. Like I even think about dairy and how big of an exporter we are right now of milk products. Like there's just certain countries that can do things well. And like, why shouldn't we be like trading between each other and importing and exporting? It builds each other's economies and like provides access to things we otherwise wouldn't have access to. Well, and I guess that's the last thing I'll kind of say is that when you and I have these conversations, you know, if we're guesting other podcasts, a lot of time we reference our food system and not that we're denying that obviously changes need to be made. Like we always need to be constantly tweaking, improving, but we kind of talk about how we got to where we are in our food system for a reason. Like we didn't accidentally end up here, right? It, it made sense to make certain decisions. Like you said, when it comes to who takes over production of this and who can do it better? And like, what does that mean for sustainability? And so sometimes I think we forget that intentionality came into certain aspects of our food system to make it the way it is today. Absolutely. I will say that you said two times last thing I'm going to say. So I'm definitely cutting you off there. You're not allowed to say it again and add anything else. We're going to go ahead and thank a sponsor today. Crowd Health is the sponsor of today's episode. As a person who just dealt with insurance yesterday, I know how absolutely frustrating and all-consuming healthcare can be. And this time of the year, I feel like a lot of people are renewing their insurance. And so I really recommend checking out CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth takes the headache out of health insurance. That is literally why it was created. It is not health insurance. It's a better way to pay for health insurance through crowdfunding. So you can stop sending money to big insurance companies who profit off of not paying your bills. Check out CrowdHealth. With CrowdHealth, you can pay just $175 for an individual or $575 for a family of four or more. You get access to a community of people who are willing to help out in the event of an emergency. You also get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, and so much more without doctors' networks getting in the way. Also, of course, when you join CrowdHealth, a group of members just like you want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. So let CrowdHealth help you with your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $99 per month for your first three months by using code DISCOVER. Go to joincrowdhealth.com. And I do want to mention one last time, CrowdHealth is not insurance, but you can learn more about it at crowdhealth.com. And again, use that code DISCOVER to get you $99 for your first three months. Another sponsor that we want to thank is the American Farm Bureau Federation. So we have mentioned this already, but we in January are headed to the American Farm Bureau Federation convention. It is going to be January 19th through the 24th in Salt Lake City, Utah. And they just announced their keynote speaker. It is best-selling author and former associate athletic director of student counseling at the University of Michigan, Greg Harden. He will address attendees at the closing general session on Monday, January 22nd. Harden has counseled more than 400 student athletes who go on to careers in four major professional sports from football to baseball, basketball, and ice hockey. He has shared his counseling expertise with seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, as well as 120 Olympians, including competitive swimmer Michael Phelps, the winner of 23 gold medals, and so many more incredible people. So you do not want to miss the 2024 American Farm Bureau 
convention. And I know we've been getting some messages from some of you guys who are attending. First of all, we hope that you will use code DISCOVER when you register because it will get you some awesome merch when you register. And also, if you are going to be there, we hope you will go and check out Natalie and I are each going to be a part of a workshop. Natalie's workshop will be on Sunday afternoon. My workshop will be on Monday morning. And we also will be recording an episode of Discover Ag live on stage on Saturday. All of this information will be in the show notes so you can check it out there. All right. Diving into the second article to discover this week, headline... Americans are very confused on how much they're supposed to tip. Regardless of whether you're just popping out for a quick coffee, grabbing a pickup order from a fast casual restaurant, or savoring dinner at your favorite local spot, you'll probably be asked or encouraged to tip the server or the staff before you leave. And according to a new survey from the Pew Research Center, Americans' views on tipping are, unsurprisingly, varied and can depend on a number of factors from what you order to how old you are. I have been seeing this all over social media, like reels about um, like one of them I saw was a lady like opened a door for someone and then she pulled out a tablet and was like, <laughs> how did I do? Uh, so I feel like it's been seriously <laughs> everywhere of people just like tipping going crazy that everything now, every time you do anything, there is literally a tip amount to like people not tipping enough. I mean, just all over the board across the spectrum. And so I kind of wanted to start. What are your personal opinions about tipping before we get into the article? Well, I have very strong personal feelings about tipping. And I don't know if it can be summed up in one, I guess, sentence or a stance. I think it is very situational for me. I am not against tipping by any means, but I absolutely agree. Like you said, with some of these conversations that are going on social media, I spent time on TikTok and there was actually a ton of funny, interesting, thoughtful, uh, thought-provoking, I guess I should say, content about tipping. And I agree with a lot of it. I think we have crossed into a new kind of area when it comes to tipping. And I think there are certainly times when we are tipping and we don't need to be and I don't fall for it anymore. I hit the no tip button and I'm starting to not feel guilty about it. Yeah, so I have very strong opinions as well about tipping. Um, My parents actually owned a restaurant when I was a kid. And so oddly enough, I feel like I had a lot of conversations in my childhood about tipping. And I know what a big deal it is for servers. It's literally how they make their money because in the 60s, the U.S. Congress passed a act that was called tipping credit, which means that employers like do not have to pay servers as long as they are earning enough through tips. So like they literally live off of tips. I wish that we lived in a culture where the menu item included the cost of like what it costs to pay your employees, like pay the servers. One of the things I see a lot is what you said, that everyone should work in a restaurant once in a mind once in their lifetime and your mind will be changed about tipping. And you agree with that? Yes. Do you think there's a difference between like bartending, serving, cocktail waitressing, serving kind of? Because I have, I was a cocktail waitress through college and I don't necessarily feel like I have the strongest stance on tipping that apparently you do. So do you think it's like actual restaurant food service? Yeah. And I think that some of mine too is, so I always hosted and like bust because I was pretty young. I think I was only like, I think I was 14 when they when they sold the restaurant. So I wasn't obviously old enough to be like a server. Child labor. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, scratch that from the podcast. Um, no, but uh, one of the things that it, this article talked about, which I know we'll get into the article, is like if you tip your server, does the server then take that and go and tip the bussers and the hostess and all the other people who made it all happen? And so that is one of my things too, that if it was just like included in the menu, you would be like paying your employees, like distributing that money 
correctly to who it needed to go to versus like the servers taking it all or the bartenders taking it all when there's a lot of different people from, you know, the dishwashers, the cooks in the kitchen that also make your meal possible. So I guess getting into the article, the stats were that they interviewed, surveyed 12,000 U.S. adults, and then they just asked them a dozen questions about who, when, where, and how of our tipping behaviors. And then the article just kind of gave percentages based off of the questions of where we fell on the spectrum as Americans. I don't know if we kind of want to go through a couple of the situations and see if we align with the percentages or if we're kind of in the outlier, I guess. Well, I think the biggest takeaway was, as you kind of mentioned in your title, is as a whole, we're really not sure when or how much to tip. And I think that's probably... I'm not surprised that's the biggest takeaway because I think that's exactly what you and I just said. Like, it's very confusing out there and everyone's doing something a little bit different. Another major response from this was that 72% of respondents said that they were expected or at least asked to tip in more places today than they were five years ago. I would definitely agree with that. I do think it's more present society in situations that maybe aren't warranted for it as much. And I think that's what makes this conversation so hard is there are instances where I do think people absolutely deserve a tip. Like when I go get my nails done or a pedicure or a massage or some of these things where I'm like, yeah, you just <laughs> scrubbed my feet for 45 minutes. I'm absolutely going to tip you. And then you turn around and you compare it to grabbing a, I mean, one common one that I feel like I see a lot on social media is like grabbing a croissant out of the Starbucks case and then giving it to the person and turning around, you know, the iPad and asking for a tip. I do feel like there is like major discrepancies in how we're asking and who is asking to be tipped right now. I agree. 92% of respondents said that they tip at sit-down restaurants, which I think feels pretty universal. When you're at a sit-down restaurant, you tip like that. That's there. Although 2% of people said they didn't tip at all. So there's always those people. So I have a question about that because to-go orders is kind of my latest debacle where I've been like, do I tip for this or do I not? Do you tip for a to-go order personally? So I've been struggling with this one and I didn't realize how much I was struggling with it until I actually read this article because I feel like in the days when delivery meant pizza like being delivered to my doorstep we always tipped big time because we were technically out of county or like out of their city limits and so i just remember my parents being like oh make sure you tip the pizza delivery guy really good or pizza delivery girl really good because we want them to still deliver to us all the way out here in the country and so i always do that with pizza people but then i think about like when i order like uber eats when i'm in a city i'm like I don't know. I I do give them a little because I'm like, okay, well, gas is expensive. But then there's a service fee and there's a delivery fee. And so I'm like, hey, Grubhub or Uber Eats, like, shouldn't that be going to the delivery person? Right. Like I was in the big city, (laughs) you know, last week doing errands and Luke wanted me to bring up home Buffalo Wild Wings. So I just placed my order, you know, online, put it in, walked in to pick it up and you're faced with the percentages to tip. I mean, there was no service done, right? They didn't take my order and they didn't, you know, do anything when it came to serving me my order. It was just basically the chefs prepping the order. So are you supposed to tip that? I don't, I can see again, going back to the stats of confusion of like when and where we tip. Yeah. And that one's always hard because I've seen a lot of servers talk about that, that actually preparing to go orders takes a while. Like they have to get it all together. They have to get it in the bag. And it's like time away from their tables that are going to tip them. But come on, don't you just roll your eyes a little bit when you're like, I got to put it in the bag. Like tip me for putting it in the bag. Like, come on. I'm sorry. This is where I feel like I'm a no tipper. I just, 
I don't I know. think this is where it gets so complicated. It truly does. And that is where I wish it was just that way there would be no question. Just include it in the price. Or even like I said about Uber Eats, like they have a service fee. That should be like, that's the service fee. That's what I would like to give to the driver who's bringing me this service. So do you think people who aren't tip are cheap? Or stingy? I feel like if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said yes. And now with the crazy amount of tipping, I feel like no, because I feel like I'm erring more on the side of like, do do I really need to tip here? Like, and so I feel like I maybe am changing my tune a little bit of how I feel about it. I will say the one thing I majorly disagreed with this article or was like completely different than a majority of the percentage who they surveyed was when people said they do not like when the suggested tip amount pops up or is given. I love that on a receipt. Like if I'm going to tip at a restaurant, which like you said, I don't think I've ever not tipped for a sit down meal. I that I do kind of agree that, that I think that is like a standard. Give it to me. Make it to me easy. Give me at the bottom 15, 18, 20, like whatever the percentages are. To get, I don't want to sit there and have to pull out my phone embarrassingly and calculate the percentage or the number I want to tip. I want to be able to glance down, see where the area is, and then pick my amount between all of that. I can't believe people don't want those guidelines. Um, I'm sorry to say this to all of our boomers listening, but it's boomers that don't want those. The rest of the generations were like, yeah, I'm good with this. It was definitely the older generations that were like, don't tell me how much to tip. (laughs) Yeah, don't tell me how much to tip. The younger generations were like, yeah, make math easy for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. (laughs) Actually, could you just write it in? Thank you. In some countries, they don't tip at all. Japan, China, Australia, South Korea, New Zealand. um, None of those tip. I would say a majority of countries don't tip. Yeah, a lot of European countries. It said like Denmark, Switzerland, Belgium, Finland, all of those. None of those do tipping. I will say my one way around all of this is I just have Luke do it all. That way I don't have to determine with my guilty conscience or not. It's on him to decide what to tip, when to tip, where to tip. Luke does it all. That's why I got married, honestly. No, <laughs> I got married so that my husband could just handle all these stressful situations for me. <laughs> all right. Thanking our next sponsor, Good Ranchers. The thing you need to know about Good Ranchers right now is that you need to order by December 11th in order to get guaranteed delivery by Christmas. So get those orders in over the weekend because next week, that will be it. You won't be able to get them in before Christmas. And this month's big special is that you actually get a holiday ham with every subscription. Last year, their holiday hams were seriously on fire. So get your subscription in now so that you can get a holiday ham. You are going to get a free $10 ham worth $99 in your first box. And Good Ranchers Heritage Hams are pork done the right way. So you want to get your orders in now. Five-star reviews are flooding in about these hams, and they are making the perfect centerpiece for your gathering. So with Good Ranchers, you can now not only order your American meat delivered, your seafood, your chicken... They obviously now have pork and then also, which I know ham is pork, but you're getting your holiday centerpiece with your big ham. So you want to go to goodranchers.com and enter your code DISCOVER to get a discount and to get all of these great goodies. Again, that is goodranchers.com. Use your code DISCOVER to get American meat delivered. All right, diving into our last and final article to discover this week. Headline, New York City Mayor Signs Sweet Truth Act Regulating How Restaurants Display Added Sugar. Diners at some New York City restaurants may see new information printed on menus over the next few months. So the legislation requires 
any chains with 15 or more restaurants in the city to label any food and drinks that exceed the FDA's recommended daily amounts of added sugar. And personally reading that, I felt like it was weird that it was only for chains with 15 restaurants or more. I mean, I would imagine it was something about like small businesses and that like the small business bureau, you know, like probably fought this, but it just seemed weird that it wouldn't just be like across the board, all businesses or all restaurants. It's also worth noting this is only for added sugars. So naturally occurring sugars that are in like milks and fruits and vegetables are not included this with this, which I really appreciated. Um, actually, in what, what year was it? In 2016, the FDA changed how we do the nutritional facts labels on the back of things and made it where it separates out added sugar versus like naturally occurring sugar. And it's a change I very much appreciated. So I actually was like, I, I don't mind this. It's nice to know how much added sugar because I like think about even like yogurt and things like if you do a yogurt that has fruit in it, it has quite a bit of naturally occurring sugars. But what I want to know is like, how much extra sugar are they putting into it? And so I'm like, while I'm not a big fan of labels and like even more requirements for restaurants and different things, I didn't mind being told how much added sugar. It is interesting because the beginning of this, I started with kind of the mentality of like, roll my eyes. This is so dumb. Is it going to make a difference? Do people even care? You know, like everyone knows sugar is bad and they're still going to consume it. And will it really make a difference? You know, like, is there an actual problem here? Or are they just kind of trying to offer a solution to no problem? But as I was reading, because New York is kind of the first, obviously, to, again, New York, New York, they're just trying to be the first to do everything. They are the first to kind of pass this type of legislation in the U.S. But Chile has actually so done something similar a while ago. And when I looked into it, there was an article that talked about how they did see a decrease in consumption from this Chile law that was passed. So Chileans are drinking fewer sugar-laden beverages um, that dropped nearly 25% in consumption in the 18 months after Chile adopted the raft of regulations that included restrictions on the unhealthy foods, like basically kind of a bold front of package warning label. And they saw an increase in purchases of bottled water in the contrary. So this could actually, I guess my, you know, I was singing maybe a little different tune by the end of it of maybe this would do a little a little good. Yeah, because our top sources for added sugar for Americans are soda. So 41% of our added sugars come from beverages and not just soda, but like sweetened fruit juices. Then it's like desserts and snacks and those kind of things. So yeah, if chili saw a difference, I could see that it could have an impact, especially in the amount of like drinkable sugars we are having. This is based off of an FDA recommendation. So the FDA recommends that you have less than 10% of your calories coming from sugar. So it's about 50 grams of sugar based on a 2000 calorie diet. So a lot of this, I think, is focused on New York's health or a lot of the sound bites and kind of you know, accompanying information with this. There was a soundbite about how a New York City Council member said, we see a major crisis in the city and beyond it when it comes to nutrition and um, obesity. And so we're trying to make New Yorkers eat healthier and live healthier lifestyles. There was a stat in one of the articles I was reading that currently an estimated almost 100,000 New York City residents have type 2 diabetes and over half of the city's residents are overweight and obese. And so, again, they're just really hoping that this law will help better inform consumers about the nutritional value of the different choices they're making. This is such a slippery slope for me. I'm glad you quoted that thing about the healthier, live healthier lifestyles because I have it in here, too. 
We also know that Eric Adams is not a big fan of animal protein. And so it's it is such a slippery slope of like telling people what to eat and not to eat when people may have varying opinions. I mean, I think maybe universally we can all agree that like too much sugar is bad, but I'm sure Eric Adams probably thinks like universally we can agree like you shouldn't be having beef or whatever he believes, right? So like I do think that it is so scary though when cities like government officials start regulating different aspects of our lives. I wrote down that same thing. I wrote down like to what end, right? Where does this stop? Like what's the next law that they're going to put into effect? And like what's the next food group they're targeting or, you know, food industry that they're targeting? Obviously sugar, the sugar industry is going to have probably a problem with this because in my head I thought, well, I think I'm okay at this law because it's not restricting the amount people can buy or anything. It's just a piece of information they can use to make a decision, right? But then that is swaying their information about how they view sugar. And so then I'm sure the sugar industry probably has a problem with this passing. They might not be the biggest fans of it. And so it does make you think a little bit about like, where is this headed? I agree. And I think one of my final things that I have to say, though, is, uh, the average American adult, so I said you're supposed to consume about 50 grams. The average American adult consumes 77 grams of sugar a day. Children eat upwards of 81 grams of sugar per day. I understand why we're addressing this. That's a lot of sugar in adults and even more in small children's diets. But yes, to what end? Like, where will it stop? Like, at what point will government officials be regulating on us on what we are or aren't putting into our bodies? Any final words on sugar? I don't think so. Just that I can't have any for 75 more days. Oh, man. Yeah, the 75 days. Maybe that's <laughs> what we'll talk about in our personal episode in a couple weeks because this is we picked a we picked a really rough time to start a new diet, but I'm proud of us. I feel like in February, we're going to be like, I'm so glad we started when we did. We could have waited till January 1st like everyone else, but we just got a little jump on things and maybe we have some slacking days, but we'll see. Yeah, I actually have so much to say. I feel like I have learned... This diet has made me think of things I did not think it would. I actually have a lot to say about it. So maybe we will do it for a personal episode. All right. Well, come back for more on that. Otherwise, we will see you guys next week right here on Discover Ag. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel. 58ember.com or find us at 58embermedia on socials.